Welcome to 10% Talks, a podcast where we explore the world through a psychological lens. I'm your host, Matuno Suit, and on today's show, we will be exploring how people survive stereotypes and projections in the workplace. Today, I was having a coffee in Starbucks, and there was a barista standing behind the counter serving customers. She was a smiley woman with a headscarf. A man walked in and said to her, do you speak English? And she was alarmed, and rightly so, as when she spoke, you could hear that she was born and raised in London. Prejudice, stereotypes and projections exist in society. We need to tackle them from a systemic perspective, but they exist and will continue to for a long time. But how do we survive them? On today's show, we'll be talking to Aisha Ola Saeed, a senior emerging talent strategist, about how she survives projections and stereotypes in the workplace. Welcome, Aisha. Well, hello. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. Aisha, tell us a bit about what you do do for a role? You've got a very fancy title there. I love my title. Um, yes, yeah, so I am a senior emerging talent strategist, like you said, and essentially what that means is that I use my knowledge of youth audiences to design talent strategies for brands and organisations. Um, and the aim of those strategies is to help them attract, select and retain the most creative, diverse young talent in the market. Essentially, that's what I do. I'm the link between um, young talent, young people trying to get into the workplace and the brands or businesses that are trying to hire them. That's interesting. So you kind of stand in that middle space. Yeah. And any types of young people? Uh, Yeah, I guess my remit is, um, I'd say graduates downwards. So typically you're talking about 16-year-olds to... 30 really yeah so um if you think of kind of like the traditional um entry talent routes you're thinking about like apprenticeships internships grad schemes that kind of thing so it's really interesting because on today's show we're talking a bit about projection we're talking about stereotypes so i imagine Mm. trying to be that sort of person in the middle space between big business and youth audience Mm. what kind of challenges do you see big businesses businesses have in terms of maybe their perceptions of young people um Yeah, so I guess the first thing is that um, big businesses are, for the most part, run by people who are over 30. Mm. Um, So from the get-go, you are working with people who do not exist in the space that they're trying to recruit. They're not the audience, Um, which often means that there is a mismatch of expectations, but also um, perception of that of young people. Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that because young people are young, um, they aren't to be taken seriously or they are to be um, babied or patronised. And that's very, very often, if not in all cases, not the case. So that would often be one of the common sort of projections that a big business might have on to young people. Exactly, exactly. Um, over trying to oversimplify things or um, offering less than they are worth. Um, just not thinking that young people come to the table with an understanding of what they're worth, what they bring to the table and what they want. Mm. Um, and I think when you don't, when you don't recognise that in young people, you often are in a place where you're not able to attract the best talent to your business. Um, and yeah. why would... Why would big, big, big businesses want to attract young talent from your perspective? 
So um, what's the what's their objective? There are a few reasons. Um, one, especially if you're talking kind of like large scale businesses, so 200 plus employees, um, global brands, that kind of thing. Um, they it's a pipeline thing, right? So you continuously hemorrhage t- um, talent over time, whether that's um, people retiring, people moving on to different places. So that you need that talent pool coming in. Um, you want to catch them young because if you catch them young, you're more likely to keep them in the business for longer. You can train them the way um, you want. Um, but also, especially when you look at consumer phrasing brands, so we're talking kind of the creative industries, media, consumer goods, um, it's really important that your workforce ref- represents your audience or reflects your audience. If they, if it doesn't, you get left behind. Um, you want to make sure that you um, are able to tap into the minds of the people you're selling to. And the best way to do that is to have them making the decisions about what is sold and how it's sold. Okay, so so something you do is around helping the business with the strategy. What do Mm. you do with the young people having to face some of those projections? Because what I'm interested in kind of thinking about partly today is how do we survive these stereotypes, these projections that get thrown at us as Mm. we walk through the world? Because I think there's a lot in the space in terms of let's remove the systemic bias, let's remove the discrimination, let's Mm. try and tie people into opportunities better. Mm. But I was wondering, what do you do with young people in terms of preparing them to interface with something like a big business? Yeah, um, a couple of things. Um, First, I'd say confidence. Um, One of the biggest pieces of of work that I do with young people is um, helping them understand what their worth is, um, both in terms of the skills they bring to the table, um, but also understanding that they are in high, high demand, whether that is as a consumer or as an employee. If that confidence is there, they're then able to come to the table, um, metaphorically, um, but come to the table with um a value proposition and understanding that, okay, if this is what I'm worth and these are the skills that I bring to the table, I'm able to speak to anyone about that. I'm able to um, enter a room or speak or understand the perception you have of me and correct that where necessary. Um, I'm, and it's also being able to speak up, even though in most cases you're the person in the room that's that everyone assumes should keep quiet. Um, So I think confidence is the biggest thing. And then also there's an element of translating informal skills to formal skills. A good example of that would be a young boy who produces music in his room, makes beats in his bedroom off his Mac, right? So he's probably made beats for his friends for ages, but hasn't necessarily worked in a music label, for example, where your job as a producer isn't just making beats. You have to manage relationships. You have to be really organised. You might be working with a number of artists at the same time. You have to be able to manage timelines, projects, and so on and so forth. So it's taken what has been kind of um, a self-developed informal skill and bringing it into kind of the traditional workings of a big business so that they're able to operate within so how they those translate structures. those skills from something more informal to yep. something well the formal structure of a business yeah how they interface with exactly that. and also it's interesting because i suppose you were touching there upon also how you might leverage that thing which might actually sometimes put you at risk of not finding opportunity for example yeah. being a young person yeah. but actually using your youth and that leveraging that yeah and actually saying, well, this is my unique value proposition as mm-hmm. a young person to you as a business. That's something that you it sounds like you touched upon. Yes. Um, so 
part of the work that I do is not just working with young people, um, but also working specifically with the businesses to help them understand some of the challenges they may be facing um, around recruiting young talent. Um, and one of those things might be the fact that they don't actually understand how to work with young talent um, in the sense that they aren't clued up with what's new and what's current. And therefore, when they see it, they're not able to recognise it as a positive thing, um, as an advantage, as a benefit. Um, they often see it as kind of a hurdle that has to be overcome. Um, some of the things that I hear in conversations are things like um, helping that young person learn how to work within the system that's already present and in most cases employers need to actually break the system they're in and having young talent there is the best way to do that because inherently especially this generation they are less likely to stick with the status quo they are very independent often for um, self-starters so when they're in a system that just isn't working if there's bureaucracy or um unnecessary hierarchy um they're more likely to speak up and change and want to change it um, and a business being able to recognise that ability and not see it as a threat and actually embrace it as a. As well, I suppose a positive it sounds. Like, I suppose with young people, it's, it's kind of embracing disruption in a way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. Um, we often call young people disruptors um, in my field, um, and it, it's, yeah, it's part of the it's part of the conversation we have with businesses. This idea that you working with me or working with um, Liberty, the company that I work for, um, it's a disruptive process there will be friction um, and friction is good because it means change and change is always good if managed well and if embraced and if um, directed um, well. Um, so yeah, a lot of the conversation is around prepping them for disruption and helping them navigate that when it comes. And what does it look like for young people? I'm interested in the kind of intersections of identity so mm. young and black or mm. young and female I mean what mm. kind of things do you see in that sort of space in yeah. terms of some of the challenges of the, the projections that young people might face when that's a when that's combined with another type of identity yeah. like race for example yeah. yeah I think it's really interesting working with young people um and I say young people and I know that it's kind of like a catch-all phrase um but I do think there is something really distinctive about um, how young people identify with um, race and gender and sexuality. Mm. Um, I think they are far more open to being um, in the intersection of a few things mm. um, and being able to navigate and embrace different things at the same time. So being black and a woman mm. um, or, um, yeah, and, and I think, the really interesting thing is that they are more comfortable talking about the challenges or, um, ish, or the challenges they face in those kind of intersectionalities than I think the older generation are. Mm. Um, I know that I run a lot of diversity programmes um, because it's often the case that when we talk about young talent, we are often trying to tackle issues around um, diversity and inclusivity at the same time. Um, and I find that it's really refreshing when you have a young person who can say that I went into that room and I was the only black person and they want to talk about that. They want to challenge that. They feel really uncomfortable about that and they, they see it as an injustice and they're very vocal. Um, and I think that's something that we haven't really seen before. I think um, when I look back at, when I was that age, navigating the 
places I, w- I was in my career, I always felt like I had to keep quiet and quietly try and affect change. But mm. um, this generation is very, very, very... Ag- and I, I, I use the word aggressive in a positive way um, because I think when things aren't right, I think it's important that we are very proactive mm. about bringing about change and not afraid um, to kind of grab the ball by the horns and make things happen and be vocal. Um, so I think that's really interesting when we're working in that kind of age group. Um, they, also, they it sounds like you're talking about actually with some of the young people you work with, when they're sort of interfacing with a system that could potentially project things onto them or could accept them, reject them. Mm. Actually, you're talking about quite a sort of an aggressive position sometimes they're yeah. taken towards that. Of yeah. saying kind of, this is me, like, take that or leave it. That's that's exactly the case. Mm. Exactly the case. They Young people are really interested in the sense that, and especially if you look at kind of the new graduates um, moving down towards kind of like your 18-year-olds, they are coming into the workplace for the first time um, because of social media and um, the ability to explore your identity in a a much kind of um, global way. They come to the workplace with a more informed idea of who they are, um, with very clear opinions Um, And that means that when they are faced with an employer um, who doesn't embrace that, doesn't recognise that or treats them differently because they're so sure of who they are, for them it's a decision of, does this place recognise me? Does this place represent me? Do I feel that I am part of this family in a sense? Mm. If I don't feel that way, there's no reason for me to stay. And I think that's one of their biggest drivers. They're less likely to think about the money or um, the job title because for them, coming to work every day is an extension of their personality, of their lives. Interesting. So it's it's more about maybe actually you're finding with young people, they're trying to find the right fit Yeah. versus I'm going to try and navigate this. Yeah. It's, mm. it's, it's because brands have become part of our lives. Mm. So if you think of kind of a tech company or a media brand Mm. or a music label, for example, those brands will have interacted with those young people via social media, the internet, um, a hundred times, thousands of times before they ever get to the place of applying. So when they think about that employer, they're not thinking about them as just, this is a person that's going to pay me a check. They're thinking about, do I want to be associated with this brand? What Mm. are my friends saying about this brand? Can I, and maybe not directly, but essentially, can I tweet that I'm going to work at Facebook today? Or, you know, do I want to be associated with Dyson? Or that's how they think. It's as much about the consumer-facing aspect as it is about the employer-facing aspect of a brand. Mm. Um, And it's really important for them that they feel like they can own that brand Mm. and it can represent them. Mm. Mm. So in a way, you're talking about an approach to surviving projection, like I said, by finding the right fit, the right Mm. organisation. It sounds like that's what young people do. I'm interested. So kind of from your own perspective, I mentioned the beginning sort of as a Nigerian young woman kind of new mother on maternity leave how did you navigate projection how did you navigate some of the stereotypes that were thrown at you and maybe a good way to start is what are your experiences maybe being I don't know a decade older or something from some of the young people you've been working with um I think my story has evolved over time um 
when I graduated from university, I went into the financial technology sector mm. um, and I now work in a creative industry. Mm. Um, so I've definitely had different experiences mm. um, across my career. I think in the beginning, um, I was often the only person of colour, mm. um, definitely the only black person um, in the kind of banks and consulting firms that I worked in. Um, and alongside that, I was a woman. Mm. And I found that because I was a black woman, sometimes I would I would find that people would approach me in a way of kind of being very cautious about talking to me because I'd often be the first woman of colour that they'd spoken to or in most cases often the first black woman they've spoken to. And this is in this is in London. This is in London. And this is in diverse multicultural London. Yeah. But if we if we're talking about kind of the banking sector, consulting, professional services, especially when I started out, they it wasn't diverse um at all. Um and I'd find that I would either have to represent all black people, um, or I'd have to represent womanhood. Um but one of the challenges would be that people's perceptions of what my femininity looked like would be different to, for example, what a white woman's femininity would look like. If I tried to be assertive in a meeting, if I was vocal about my opinion, um, I, I, I would notice that that would be taken in a different way to if a, a, a white woman was vocal. Mm. Um, I'd often have to think probably four times over about how to phrase a sentence to make sure that I don't come across as angry or... So you're almost talking about you stepping into a situation and being aware of people's stereotypes. So, for yeah. example, in this situation, might be on an angry black woman. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm interfacing with you right now and relating to you. Mm. And I'm thinking about how I can avoid you sort of hanging, you know, the coat of angry black woman on me. Yeah, it's also about making people feel comfortable. So I know that I would be, because a, a lot of my role was client facing. So I'd be meeting with um, investment managers mm. who were often over 40 white men. Mm. Um, so already me coming into the room as the person who's in charge of your account, like two, three million pound account or whatever, was like, first of all, I'm young, I'm black and I'm a woman. It's like, who are you? Why are you here? Um, so one, I'd had to, I'd have to show up all the time. I could not have a bad day. Um, two, you're, I can see that you're nervous in this conversation. You know, um, they're not quite sure what to say. They're not quite sure about the small talk. They'd be surprised that I'd care about sports or something like that. Um, but then also there was the issue around um, making sure that if there was a situation where we might have maybe a disagreement or we don't agree on how a project should move forward. I always found that the onus was on me to make sure that that conversation did not get, that that conversation went well. Mm. I had to make sure that the person I was speaking to remained comfortable because I knew that any kind of assertiveness um, on my part would often be seen um, as aggressive or just taken negatively essentially um where did you learn that i mean so was that something you started to spot so it sounds like actually, it was something that i started to spot how, how would you spot that because it's interesting because maybe people have 
a person of colour or a person mm. from a minority group listens to this podcast might think, OK, I can relate to understand that. Yeah. There might be other people who think, how do you actually identify that? Identify this? Um, it could be little things as, and this is all anecdotal, but it could be a little thing like in the culture of my sector at the time and the sector I worked in at the time, for example, swearing was very commonplace. It was just part of the vocabulary. Mm. Nobody really cared. I don't swear. Mm. But if for some reason in a conversation I'd throw an F in or blinding or something in there, mm. straight away it'd be like, whoa. <laughs> and I'm it's just banter. Like I'm I'm just bantering. But um yeah, it but there would is, be, they're, they're, be but they're hearing that they're hearing that through you as a black woman. Yeah, that somehow they're taking that a certain way. Yeah, and you can see their reaction to yeah. it. Yeah, it's not like oh, this is banter. It's like oh, wow, you know. Like all of a sudden, things have like, gone to a hundred. Like, what's going on here? And then I'd be like, oh, okay, so I I can't do what you're doing. So okay, so that's not a space that I can operate in, right? So wh- where can I where can I where can I operate? Um, and it, what would be your concern that if you carried on? If someone did view you that way, what would be your concern in that environment? That if you carried on, I was I was concerned that I would be considered difficult, mm. um, and I'm able to kind of look back at my experiences and revisit conversations I had with, for example, my peers or manager or um, a client or revisit experience and feelings that I felt in those conversations. I couldn't necessarily put a finger on, like, why do I feel uncomfortable here? Um, But because now I work in HR and talent, I'm on the other side of those conversations. So I'm speaking to managers um, who are saying things like, you know, oh, I had a meeting with X person and let's say it's a person of colour um, and you know she said XYZ and I think she was just being incredibly difficult and really um, confrontational and I'm hearing this I'm hearing this and I'm thinking no that was actually just a really good conversation that person was just being really honest with you and they might not speak in the same way you do they might be more direct than you are um, but there was nothing confrontational about that. That was just a very direct conversation. And it's often the case that someone of maybe a different gender, maybe a male could get away with being more direct, but a woman wouldn't be able to. Um, and similar is the, it's, it's similarly the case when you talk about a people of colour and, and maybe white people. Um, and I think it's it's about seeing yourself in the people that you're working with. If a manager is talking to a person that looks like them, has has had similar experiences, you're more likely to be empathetic. Um, so if, if you are having a difficult conversation, you're more likely to um, work at it and understand um, if someone gets a bit, if things get a bit heated or if, if a person's not responding in a way that you want to. But if someone's different from you, has a different upbringing, um, whether that's, gender, ethnicity, um, social de- um, socioeconomic background, you're less likely to empathise because it's not your lived experience. Um, the things that person says, the way they think, um, the way they perceive a situation that's happened w- may be different from you and you're less likely to understand it. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of the work that I do now in the position that I'm in is helping um, employers 
remove the bias from from those conversations so that they can come into those conversations understanding that you're both human you might be different in some ways but that doesn't affect the way this conversation should go how effectively can you remove the bias i mean it's a wider Um, question around you know the unconscious bias that exists i mean mm. do you see do you see changes in some of these companies in terms of the way they relate to young people or to people with different sorts of identities Mm. I mean to what extent is it possible I'm interested I often think of it as twofold there's two ways of um dealing with this one you increase the the diversity in the workplace Mm -hmm. so just in terms of number of people through the door if you get enough people from diverse backgrounds again whether that's gender ethnicity what socioeconomic background whatever metric you want to use you're more likely to have a situation where the manager is a person from a diverse background speaking to another person from a diverse background. Um, and when you have that, when you have those situations where there, once there's more diversity, there's more understanding, there's more empathy. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing, I must, I, I, I probably misspoke when I said remove bias because I don't actually necessarily believe you can remove bias. I think you can make people aware of their bias. And if you make people aware of their bias, they can, if they want to, they can proactively counter counter it. So be more conscious of it and more aware of it so they can counter it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting as well, because I think sometimes when we talk about, say, for example, diversity, it's the notion yeah. that, for example, a black woman couldn't have some sort of unconscious bias towards a, I don't know, white Vietnamese mm. Mm. Sorry, not white Vietnamese. <laughs> exactly. That's that's section. definitely that's diversity. I don't know. I don't know. A, a Vietnamese gay guy. Yeah, yeah. So it's so a diversity. We talk about it in this kind of big lumped together yeah. thing, as if oh, if you're just from a minority group, then somehow anybody who's kind of if you're interfacing with anybody from another mm, minority group, mm. somehow you're not going to be biased towards them. It's yeah. like well, I I I completely disagree with the idea that. Um, just because you are um, an eth- if you just because you're from an ethnic minority group, you don't hold bias, um, or just because you're from a minority group, whatever that looks like, you don't hold bias. Um, I've had situations. My job <laughs> is um, helping with diversity, inclusion, young talent, so on and so forth. And I have situations where I've completely misjudged a young person. Um, and I've had to check my own biases. Um, so everyone has bias. Um, we live in a world that continuously sends us messages and stereotypes people and puts them in a box. You can't tell stories without putting people in boxes. Um, so we all come to the table with some kind of perception of what you, who you are, what your story is. Um, and all interactions are around opening that box up and taking out the pieces that don't fit and putting in new pieces so that you're able to paint a better picture of the person you're interacting with. So, no, I don't agree that just by having a diverse workplace, you have diverse thoughts. No. Can you... So, so I'm, because I'm interested, because what you're talking about there, I suppose, is... I mean, like I said, there's a lot around sort of how you help people deal with unconscious bias or how you Mm. help people paint a different picture of somebody else or how Mm. you remove those bits that might not fit. Mm. I'm interested, how... Do you help someone 
embrace the picture of you or how do you mm-hmm. because that's I think that's something really nuanced because yeah. I mean earlier on you were talking about the notion that you might step into a sort of interaction with somebody and you're acutely aware of how you're trying to manage whatever projections they're trying to throw on you yeah what um, kind of advice I mean to any listeners who are in that space where they're thinking okay I'm interacting with a system that might not necessarily understand me I feel uncomfortable interacting mm. with that system I'm trying to progress my career yeah maybe I'm a I could even be at a senior level when I'm trying to progress my yeah. career but I'm aware that I'm interacting with a system yeah. or a hierarchy that there is bias in it I have to navigate my way through it yeah. what kind of thoughts would you have on that um I think one of the best I'll start with a little story that I have. Um, I was, I went to a meeting with um, a colleague of mine, a very senior colleague of mine. Um, he's a white man. Um, and at that meeting, we were meeting another white man who's a really good friend of his. We um, went to have lunch before we were going, we were going to do a big pitch. Um, we went to have lunch. It was the first time I'd met the, um, this friend of his. Um and part of the pitch was around young talent and increasing diversity, but specifically looking at socioeconomic background. Um, and this man um, assumed, I don't want to say the words that he used, but he assumed that I grew up on an estate um, and that I either had been in care um, or... Um, maybe had passed through the criminal system. And I'm not going to, I don't want to kind of say how he, he, mm. he, he overtly communicated that's what he thought I was. Yeah. He thought I was a bad story turned good. There was nothing in our conversation to make him think that. Mm. People listening can hear me speak. <laughs> you know, um, there's nothing about, about me that would make you yeah, think you that. You didn't walk into the meeting. I didn't, in walk, in, I didn't walk yeah. into the meeting. With you didn't a have a tag on your ankle. No, I did not. Um, but he assumed that was my story. Um, and so, so you've clocked this. You're in this meeting. Yeah, you're in I've this situation. This. You've and I'm, now this. I'm like, okay, so I now, understand, I, I now know that you are looking at me as some kind of, kind of charity case that's worked out. And actually, I'm an incredibly intelligent um, expert in my field. I know more about this pitch than you do. And what are the potential problems with his projections onto you? How would that have actually affected what... That would have affected... Well, a really good example, we were talking about how to split up the pitch. He felt it would be appropriate for me to introduce us and also end by saying thank you. That's what he thought my offer to the pitch could be. Bearing in mind that I basically made the pitch <laughs> I'd made the deck I'd prepared all the material so um that's that's a really good example so he had relegated me and and based off his perception he felt that I could not go into a pitch with a, a, a massive global brand um and successfully deliver the pitch he d- he could not fathom a world where I was the one that was the expert in the room and he's realised this. Did your colleague realise this? My colleague realised it, but then didn't know what to do. Mm. So um, in that situation, I essentially then had to go into overdrive in this in this kind of pre-pitch prep. So I then had to kind of like 
grab hold of the laptop and say, so when I was working on this pitch today, this is how I saw it um, panning out. I think you should lead on your bit. I'll lead on this, this and this. Um, you know, the research that I've put in in the footnotes will be really helpful. I essentially had to pitch to him that I was worthy of mm. pitching my own pitch. Mm. I don't know how many times I can say the word pitch. But, so um, you had to really demonstrate your I competence had to dem- I had very to explicitly. Very you, explicitly. You were aware of the projection. Yes. And at that point, you were thinking to yourself, okay, I need to really demonstrate explicitly yes. my ability. Yes. So in terms of... And is that uh, something you've learned to do? As in, that's it, something would, that I've learned to do. Would you have previously have previously just maybe... Previously, I would have kept quiet. Okay. Because I wouldn't want to offend. I wouldn't... I didn't and I suppose the challenge is the at way. that point when you're preparing for the pitch, you can't say, wait, are you assuming that I'm... You, it can't be a challenge I, I or a conflict. Exactly. You exactly. Have to, you have to we have to go into that meeting with a level yeah. head. Um, so... How did... And how did this person respond then? So... Um, when you when you started talking like this, was there a change in expression? I could see or? his eyes kind of woke up and he was... About, he stopped eating. Seriously? <laughs> he genuinely stopped eating and was like listening to me and was like, wow, okay. Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this Because I suppose on an unconscious level that what he was feeling was being challenged. Yes. And you were really saying, no, this is who I am. Yes. Not but the projection. Bear in mind, I hadn't actually said that I didn't come from, you know, foster care or whatever and so on and so forth. I hadn't corrected anything he assumed about you my background. You corrected it through your level of... I just I just let him know that I'm meant to be in this room and I'm, I, I bring more to the table than you assume I do. I then had to, afterwards, I think I spent probably about two hours on a four-line email. Where, after the pitch. After the pitch. The pitch went well. The pitch went well. Yeah. The pitch went well. It went Did you say thank you at the end? I, I did end up saying thank you and I did end up introducing everyone. So it worked out really well. Um, <laughs> but essentially, I had to go... I had First of all, I had to be... I could have been offended by what he said. I was kind of offended, but I couldn't show any emotion. So you I, didn't rap. I didn't, no. You didn't rap at the pitch. No. <laughs> As expected. <laughs> I didn't go, you know, when I grew up on the streets, this is what, no, I didn't do that. I, you know, he, I, I, I'm not sure what he felt about the pitch, but. Yeah, so it um, went well, then afterwards. It went well. I had to go back to the office and sit down for about two hours. And it's been, it took me about two hours to put together probably four or five lines in an email where I had to, in a really polite way, but also in a really firm way, let him know that this is what you said, this is what it meant, and this is why it's not okay. But also at the same time, be like, it's completely fine because I didn't want a situation where he then felt like I was a bit difficult or, you know, made him feel really uncomfortable and... Because I would potentially have to work with him going forward on if we got the, if we did actually win the pitch. So you had to think about how you, how you maintain the relationship. How do I maintain the relationship? Because it's interesting because you were talking about young people and in a sense saying how they might face projections of stereotype and it's almost like well, if you're not a fit, you're not a fit. Yeah. But you're talking about a situation where actually you have to find out a way yes, to... Yes, because you, otherwise you always leave. Integrate into... And you're not able to actually build a career. So, I mean, to, to, to kind of summarise <laughs> I know I went on this story went on this um, journey with the story just a question how, I think it's quite a useful point because I think sometimes we can forget how did it feel So how, how does it feel when you left mm. that after the pitch um, when you left how did it feel having that sort of experience I was very upset mm. I was very upset and um, my confidence was shaken mm. because 
if he could think that of me, the people that we were pitching to, what would they think of me? Um, how seriously would they take our proposal? How much would they trust what I was saying was true? Um, so I did have to... Um, so it's almost a, deg- a degree of paranoia starts setting yeah, in terms of you yeah. start to almost over-anticipate exactly. potential threats or stereotypes or projections that might be thrown on you. But that is that, but that is everyday life, mm. if I'm being 100% honest. Mm. Um, I and think how do you stop that, how do you part, stop that part, from becoming... So how do you keep that in its place? So how do you stop that from the next time you go into a meeting thinking, oh gosh, that person's... That baggage yeah. with you. Because it's interesting because some yeah. people might talk about, for example, you know... When you experience projections, sometimes that can translate into somebody having, you know, in inverted commas, a chip on the shoulder. Mm, you know, people talk mm, about that. Yeah. Or yeah. playing a certain card. People yeah. talk about those sorts of things. Yeah. So how did you kind of regulate maybe some of that preoccupation you might have started mm. to have with? This isn't the case for everyone, but I, I, I do believe that when you're from a minority group, whatever that looks like in the place that you're operating in, um, I do think that there's always a part of your brain that is continuously working away at navigating the fact that you are other in that space. Mm. Um, you are continuously filtering your experiences, your conversations, um, how you present yourself through that lens in a sense um, so that you're able to um, adapt to the environment you're in not just to make everybody else feel comfortable, but also to make sure that people are able, people focus on what you want them to focus on. Um, and I, I do have, to, and I say that to all the young people that I work with, it's not fair, it's not right in a sense, but it is what it is. You will go into a workplace um, and there will be, ideas of who you are people will perceive you in a particular way or have ideas of what you should be like it is up to you to hear what people are saying hear what people are doing understand what lies behind that and act accordingly so there might be things that you you have to do differently for example so you know if if you work in a creative industry in an advertising agency, if you continuously get put as a, let's say, a black black man, if, a, if you're a black young man, if you continuously get put on the urban projects, right? You need to know that that's happening to you. And um, yes, that you might have been, yes, you might, that might be your environment, that might be your friendship circle, that might be what you're interested in in terms of media and music and so on and so forth. But that's not your, what you, that's not the only thing you're able to do. So you have to be aware that you're being put in that box and fight to come out of that box. And that could look like when the person, you know, when the detergent brand comes in and wants to sell to young mums, there's no reason why you can't work on that project. So put yourself forward for that project so that people can see that, oh, John can work on different things. He's just not, he's not just our go-to grime, you know, connoisseur. Um, And that's something that women have to do as well. Um, But that's, that's for me, that's, 
it's being able to filter your interactions through that lens and understand that sometimes people are in, unintentionally putting you in a box mm. and limiting you. And it's important that you're able to recognise those situations. Yes, you are very good at understanding young black men, mm. but you can also understand middle-aged mums. And I suppose also understanding young black men is not a basis for a career. It's not, that's not the basis for your career. You, you don't want to, you know, 50, 20 years down the line, you're receiving awards for best, best at knowing what's Which is interesting, cool I suppose, in what, black you're, culture. what you're touching on is something even more nuanced, which is maybe in an attempt to increase diversity, do we sometimes inadvertently almost reinforce boxes that people are in? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it could be as simple as a a brand is trying to reach you, young audiences, and at the moment, you know, grime music is very cool. For example, so if you've got a team of people who've grown up outside of London, probably over thirty, they're the, and they're the ones working on the project they have a further distance to travel to understand the audience. And ideally, you want people who don't have that far to travel because that cuts time, it saves money, and that means better, like, profit. Um, that's fine. Getting people who reflect the audience that you're trying to reach, that's great. But keeping those people in that little pigeonhole, that's the problem. Because in that sense, you're just being used as a tool. You're just a tool. I'm a, you're a tool and maybe your identity is something I can pick up, use for certain purposes and then put back down. Yeah. And even in that process, you might think, okay, well, I've had an opportunity or these people are interested, mm. but who are you beyond the tool? Yes. And what happens when you as a tool become irrelevant when maybe there's a different cultural trend? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd agree. Aisha, we've covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much for coming on our show. I'm sure we're going to have you on a future one as well. I'd love to come back. I'd love to come back. This is really interesting. Mm -hmm.